You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Today's reading is from James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Let's listen for the word of God. Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Thanks be to God for his word. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Bridget, for reading it so well. What what subjects should I take for school? What instrument should I play? Will you go out with me? What uni degree should I enroll in? What job should I interview for? Will you marry me? Let's, let's move to the northern beaches. Let's rent that apartment. I know. Let's move to the USA. I think it's time to move home now, back to Australia. Should we think about planning for a family? How many kids? Two? Three? Seven? Three is, three is enough, believe me. I know, let's do something really crazy. Let's plant a church. Let's go here on holidays. Now let, let's, let's go here instead. Let's start thinking about what schools the kids should go to. You know what? Maybe it's time we start thinking about planning for retirement. That last one's really scary. And on and on it goes. On and on it goes. Making plans. It's the stuff of life, isn't it? Making plans. We all do it. Big plans, little plans. Some people plan out their lives within an inch, right? Some people not so much, but some people, even their holidays are mapped out on a spreadsheet. Do you know these people? Are you one of these people? Get out. Okay. I'm kidding. No one really wants to admit it. Others go with the flow more. Probably a bit more like me. You you can tell. Now, this is true for all of us, people of faith, people of no faith, right? It's how life works, filling up our calendars, making plans. It's what it means to live in our modern society, right? Making plans. This is our topic for today, making plans. What has the Bible got to say about it? What does James have to say about it? We're in our series, week seven, for those who are counting, in our series called Faith in Action. What does it look like to have faith when planning. Does it make a difference? Have you thought about it that much? How are we as Christian people supposed to go about planning in our lives? Today, James tells us there is a wrong way to plan. There is a wrong way. There's a wrong way to plan. A way to plan that excludes God. And in doing so, we become practical atheists. Have you heard of that term before? 
people who say they're Christians, say the right things, but when you look at their lives, they don't look any different to people who do not believe, practical atheists. When it comes to planning, Christians can be like that. Today's passage also tells us there's a right way to plan. There's a wrong way to plan. There's a right way to plan. What's the right way? How do we do it? What does it look like? Well, in order to do that, in order to plan well, we've got to think about some weighty truths. You had a hint when we heard the Bible reading read for us by Bridget. We've got to think on some weighty truths if we want to plan our lives well as Christian people. So that's what we're going to do together. We're going to look at, there's a wrong way to plan. There's a right way to plan. How do we plan well? We've got to dwell on some weighty truths, some things that might be pretty easy to ignore. We might want to do that, but we're not going to do that today. We're going to go there together. These topics that we're looking at, James, they're not easy. Lots of people have opinions on these things. In our culture, generally it's the person who has the most amount of influence, the most amount of followers, the person who speaks the loudest. What they say makes the most sense, but not for Christian people. We get at the truth from God's Word. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at His Word. We're going to block out all other voices and look at His Word to get these answers. How do we plan well as Christian people? Let's have a look at our first verse. It's a short passage. Did you notice? doesn't necessarily mean short sermon, okay? But here we go, verse 13. Let's have a look at it together. Now listen. Now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow, We'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Now, at first reading, you think, yeah, so? Sounds pretty normal. Sounds a lot like my week. Planning stuff, planning for the future, making plans. What's wrong with this statement? We do this every day, in business and in life. What's the saying? Fail to plan, plan to fail. That was drummed into me from pretty early on. Fail to plan, plan to fail. I mean, everyone makes plans. Business, I mean, as a church, we make plans. Is James anti-planning? If so, talk about being impractical. That's not what we're getting at here. James is not advocating a carefree, planless life at all. What James is getting at? Isn't the fact that we make plans, it's how we plan them, right? Not the fact that we make plans, it's how we plan them. And particularly what's going on in our hearts when we plan, okay? What's going on in our hearts when we act like practical atheists, when we exclude God in our planning? What's, what's going on there and what's the result of that? We'll get to it. One commentator talking about this passage, this verse particularly, says, James is concerned here about the, this, the exclusively this-worldly context, right? This is what James is talking about. It's a this-world context in which the plans are made. A danger, he says, it must be said, to which business people are particularly responsible. Really? Why business? Now, I realize I've got the attention of most people in the room because most of us are in business. Dave, are you picking on business people? No, I'm not. So why business? Maybe. Maybe because business just simply tends to be pretty this well-focused, right? Results, please, here and now. 
not inherently bad at all. Of course not. But if that's our only input, if that's our only source, our only guiding source, then that's a problem, right? There needs to be a big difference between how Christians plan our lives and conduct business versus people who do not have faith. How? If there is no God, right? If there is no life after death, if this life is all there is, that impacts everything, doesn't it? Everything, including how we plan in life and in business. If we aren't accountable to anyone, if there are no objective moral absolutes, then hey, anything goes, maybe, or at least who says what's right and wrong? Maybe it's okay to blur the edges. Maybe it's okay to exploit people for profit. Not, not terribly, but just, just a bit. You know, maybe the goal in life is just to kind of make ourselves as comfortable as possible. If this life is all there is, it's a very logical conclusion. Let's make this life as comfortable as possible. I think this is what James is addressing, right? Christians who think like this, too many of us, it's too easy to slide into this way of thinking, right? We make plans. We operate in life and business like practical atheists. Does the fact that God is real, that we, we have to give an account for everything we do, that there is life after death, that this life is not all there is, does it make a difference? Does our faith inform our planning? Okay, how do we do it then? All right, it should. How do we do it? How do we avoid being practical atheists when it comes to planning? What should inform us in making our plans? Well, let's have a look at verse 14. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's not the most cheery of verses, but we can handle it. Verse 14. Why? You, don't, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Two truths James wants to remind us about. First one. Let's look at the first little section. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. I feel like post-COVID, well, are we post-COVID yet? Or at least post, you know, height of pandemic, whatever it is. This side of COVID, this point is much easier to make. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, we know it. Most of us have never lived through more uncertain times, right? More yeah, more difficult times. Living in a pandemic, so many of our plans change, right? So much uncertainty. But here's the thing, our reactions to those plans changing can be really telling. I experienced this myself. How upset are we when plans change? This can help reveal just how self-sufficient we think we are. And as Christians, that's not a good thing. Right? Everyone's annoyed when plans change, right? When holiday plans are cancelled, that's just a bummer, straight up, okay? No one's saying we should be rejoicing at that. But we've got to think about this. What are we assuming about the plans that we make in the first place? We've got a plan. We must plan. But the plans that we make, the plans that we tend to make, we just assume they will happen. And this can lead us to thinking that we're in control. Are we really? 
again, another byproduct of COVID, right? We have realized just how little control we actually have. We never had much. It just became more clear. And I didn't like it. Did you? I don't think we liked it. I don't think we liked that reality check. Maybe we didn't welcome it so much. Too many of us are dangerously self-sufficient. Dangerous? Weird word choice, Dave. I don't know if it is. Dangerous. Because the biggest killer of faith is not doubt. It's not questions. What is it? It's pride. Biggest killer of faith is pride. I think this is what James means in verse 16. This is the background of people talking like verse 13. It's this. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. You see what James is getting at? That's what is behind people saying in verse 13, we're going to go here. We're going to make these networks. We're going to make these connections. We're going to make this money. We're going to spend a year here. And then we're going to, behind that, can be boasting, arrogant boasting, which is evil. What's at the heart of that? The heart of that is this. I don't need God. I'm in control. I am the master of my destiny. I'm in control. I don't need God. And I tell you what, even as Christians, we can, we can step into this way of thinking. We love Jesus as Savior. Jesus as Lord, not as much. This is at the heart of every sin. Every sin. God, I've got it from here. Thanks for your input. I think I know best from this point on. Thanks very much. In some ways, and that sounds kind of crazy, but in some ways we need to welcome times when we're made aware that we're just not in control. Anything that breaks the illusion, because it's an illusion, anything that breaks the illusion of self-sufficiency. Okay, second thing from verse 14, and it gets more cheery. Let's have a look. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I came to church this morning for a pep up, for a feel good. Thanks a lot, Dave. It's not happening. Let me ask, have you ever thought about writing an autobiography? You ever thought about maybe someone writing your biography? I was reading some material this week that said, such a thought is quite arrogant. I thought, that's a bit, really? I don't know if it is, but maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But have you ever thought about it? If you have, what would the title be? What would the title be of your autobiography or biography? James has a title for you. You ready? Here's what it is. Mist. That's the title of your autobiography. Mist. Or here for a bit, then gone. That's catchy. Or raindrop on a windscreen. That's the title of your autobiography. Glad you came to church this morning. Oh man, don't leave now because it gets better from here, I promise. Be the worst time to leave. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I'm pretty sure James is borrowing from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes here, one of my favorites in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. The book of Ecclesiastes uses this language a lot. The teacher who writes 
this book, incredibly wealthy person, nearing probably the end of his life in later years, and he's looking back on all he's achieved, and it's a lot, more than we will achieve. And he concludes, so much of what I've done, so much of what I've achieved, maybe even life itself, is Havel. It's this word. Some translations translate Havel vanities or meaningless. But I think a better translation is missed. That's the idea. Not necessarily meaningless, but here for a bit, then not. Right? You know what missed is? You wake up in the morning, and it's sometimes, right? And it's there. Sometimes you see it on the traffic report. Like the Harbour Bridge is covered in mist. And it's like, oh, my goodness. But what happens a few hours later? Sun comes up, burns it away, and there is no trace of it. It's gone. You don't know what will happen tomorrow, and your life is like a mist, fragile and short. Let's pray. Let's, we're not going to end it there. Why on earth is James talking about this? Why are we talking about it this morning? Why would James want us to think on these things? What good can come from this? It's a little bit morbid, Dave. What good can come from this? How can it help us? How does it help us plan better as Christians? Well, let's have a look at an example Jesus uses. Jesus himself. Luke 12, the parable of the rich man. You might know it. A very, very wealthy man. We don't know much about him, but a very wealthy man has an incredible season as a farmer. Right? There you go. I'll get you in the mood for farming. There's a nice photo. This rich man has a really good crop. I'm talking bumper harvest. Yes, farmers struggle with, with drought and flood and all that kind of stuff. But I tell you what, a really good year can make up for all those bad years and more. And this guy, already really rich, has an incredible year. Already wealthy, now he's got obscene wealth. What should he do? He thinks to himself, I know, but I actually don't have anywhere to store this unexpected windfall. Here's what I'll do. I'll knock down my existing barns, build bigger ones. That's what I should do. Then I will say, take life easy. You got enough wealth to last for a very long time. Eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds like a good plan. God says to him, excellent planning. Well done, very savvy business acumen. Now, you know that last Statement is not true. God says to him, what? You fool. Ouch. You fool. This night, this very night, your life will be taken from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? You fool. Isn't this rich man just like the perfect example of what we're talking about this morning? How not to plan? Here's what's interesting, right? The fact that he was a rich man's not condemned. There's heaps of faithful, wealthy people in the Bible. There's heaps of faithful, wealthy Christians in the world. Riches, not the problem. The fact that his farm just had an amazing harvest, it's not condemned. I mean, you can argue God is the one who gave him that windfall, right? It's not condemned. What is? What is the problem? You know it. His plans were entirely this world-focused, right? 
Zero concern for God, zero concern for others. He thought he knew what tomorrow held. I know what's going to happen. I've got loads of days left. So I'm just going to store up all the wealth that I have, spend it on myself. Arrogant assumptions, self-centered actions. And he became missed in a very real way. Our lives are brief. We're certainly not in control of how long they are, that's for sure. And fragile. In my, um, in my old band, uh, I was in a band for a long time. We used to write songs. And, and one of the songs we wrote is a, a song called Distant Memories, which is inspired by this idea. We were in a phase of, of reading through some of the wisdom literature, particularly Ecclesiastes. And we wrote a song called Distant Memories. We set the scene with, a, with the first verse, right? Flash forward um, a century to a cemetery, overgrown, a hundred years from now, overgrown. And, and in this cemetery in the corner lies my tombstone. And it's covered up with dirt and grime. No one remembers that life. And the chorus kind of punches in. Weirdly enough, this is like a really up-tempo rock song. And uh, the, the chorus kind of bursts in with, I'm just history. Nothing more than distant little memories. But I'm in a place where I've never felt more home. And now my old life seems to be nothing more than distant memories. And as I was preparing uh, for, for this message today, I, I remember oh, we wrote a song kind of about this. And I listened to it. I'm like, that's a pretty cool song. This is cool. Yeah, yeah I remember. It was good. You know, and, and back then we thought this is a pretty cool song. But guess what? Didn't become very popular. And I don't think I have to wonder too hard why, right? I don't think people like the idea of belting out, I'm just history. No one remembers me, right? I mean, that's not a feel-good moment. Pretty naive of us to think people would be drawn to a song like that. You can Google it after here. I still think it's a good song. (laughs) It's not. A warm and comforting thought. A cold tombstone? Come on. Why are we talking about this? It's not a warm and comforting thought, but it's a true one. Let me ask you, how how many people here know the first names of any of their great-grandparents? Okay, maybe you do, but do you know much more? Right? It's it's an interesting thought, isn't it? My kids got to meet their great-grandmother. She only died last year, uh, year before. But I tell you what, that's pretty rare. I didn't get to meet any of my great-grandparents, and I don't know much about them. And I bet you we wouldn't know that much either. Yet these people, they weren't actually around that long ago. They had hopes and dreams just like you and me. Their blood courses through our veins, but yet they're kind of largely forgotten. Okay, please hear me when I say this. Do not It would be a mistake. Do not blot out these difficult things that we're talking about because you think they're morbid or depressing. Thinking about this too much is going to lead to leading a depressing life. It's going to make me somber. It's going to make me down. Untrue. That's a lie. Why? Because we have the hope of the gospel. That's what we have. And because we have the hope of the gospel, thinking about these things, It infuses more meaning and purpose into our lives. Why? Because it frees us. It rescues us from wasting our lives on things that turn out to be missed. 
It, it, it frees us from wasting our lives on counterfeit gods, on things that promise so much and deliver so little. We must think on these things. It infuses meaning and purpose, not meaninglessness. Okay, maybe if you don't have a faith, but we have the hope of the gospel. We know that this life is not all there is. We've got to be reminded of the fact that, okay, our lives are short and fragile, and we have far less control than we'd like to think. Why? Because it points us to the one who is in control. It points us to the one who is not fragile. It points us to the one who is the great Alpha and Omega. We must understand that knowing this, it's a gift. This is a gift. It's not a curse. It's a gift. Psalm 90, verse 12, one of my favorite verses. Teach us to number our days. Teach me to know that my days are not infinite. They are finite. Why? That we may gain a heart of wisdom. What? Dwelling on the truth that your days are numbered brings wisdom. That's what the Bible says. Brings wisdom. How? We gain wisdom in contemplating that our days are numbered. What wisdom? What does Proverbs say? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? Knowing who God is, who He really is, and knowing who we are in light of Him. That's wisdom. Get this. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know. Here's why. God hasn't told you. You don't know. You don't know what will happen tomorrow because God hasn't told you. You don't know where you'll be tomorrow. You do know where you'll be in 100 years. God has told you. That must inform our present. You do not know what will happen tomorrow because God hasn't told you. You shouldn't know. You're not supposed to know. But you do know where you'll be in a century's time. God has told you. The last bit of that point must inform the first. The fact that we don't know tomorrow. That's okay. It shouldn't produce anxiety because we know the one who does. But we do know where we'll... Whoa, gee, fighting with the lectern here. We do know where we'll be in a century's time. And there's comfort in that. Don't live like you don't know where you're going. Live like you know where you're going. Don't live like you don't know you're here for a bit and then gone. It informs how we plan. Let's have a look at verse 15 here, right? Where do we go from here? There's a right way to plan. We'll finish in a moment. There's a right way to plan. Verse 15, James says, Instead, you should say, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As Christians, we infuse our plans with faith. We don't exclude God, we include Him. How do we do that? What does that look like? What can stop us from doing this? This is a challenge for me. Maybe one of the reasons too many of us, sorry, maybe one of the reasons we don't do this is because too many of us believe the lie that if we commit everything to the Lord, we'll end up missing out. You know, if I really commit your plans to the Lord and they will succeed, says Proverbs, right? If I really did that, though, I just, I just kind of feel like I'd be missing out. There'd be things that I want to do that I wouldn't because God's kind of a killjoy, right? I mean, that's what, 
that's the basis of that thinking. It's not true. The truth is, God has better plans for us than we have for ourselves. That is the truth. Have you tried him on it? Now, what does James really mean here? <clears throat> you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or that. What does he mean? I don't think James wants us to treat this as a mindless chant before we plan anything, before we do anything, right? See you tomorrow, if God wills it. Can you pick up the kids from school? If God wills it. What coffee do you want? Flat white, if God wills it. In America, they used to say this weird saying, um, see you tomorrow, God willing, if the creek don't rise. You heard that before? It's from the swampy south. It's a pretty weird thing to say, which means, you know, someone's on the opposite property to you. There's a creek running through the middle. You know what it means. If rain comes and it swells up, I'm not going to see you, right? Because I can't get across the creek. But now it's just turned into a saying, God willing and the creek don't rise. And the way they say it in this southern accent really fast, it took me about six months to figure out what they were saying. God willing, the creek don't rise. What creek? Weird. But it's the same kind of idea. It's just something you say. Is that, is that what we should do? Not a mindless stringing together of words. What does that achieve? It also shouldn't be an excuse, like a fatalism, absolving us from any responsibility, right? Why didn't you pick up the kids from school? I'm not in control of those things. Why didn't you do your homework? I thought Jesus would return. You can try that. See how it goes with your boss. Why didn't you complete this project? I believe in the second coming and uh, Christ could have... Okay, I'm going to stop there. Good luck. Right. That's not what we're after. Let's not be silly. Let's actually apply this to our lives. How do we do it? And what are we really after? What is God always after? He's after our hearts. Stringing together a couple of words before or after a sentence. It's not about that. He's after our hearts. And what is James really cranky about here? Arrogant boasting. What's the opposite of that? The opposite of arrogant boasting is humble worship, isn't it? Humble worship. Like I said before, the greatest enemy of, of faith is not doubt, not questions. It's pride. Arrogant boasting. I don't need God. What's the opposite of that? Humble worship. Before planning anything, what do we do? God, you are the Lord of my life. I, I commit my plans to you. You are in control. This is what Proverbs 3 means. In all your ways, acknowledge him. All your ways. Do we ever stop to ask this? God, is this what you want me to do? Who knows what will happen? This is inviting God into our lives. This is the opposite of excluding him from our plans, including him. God, what do you want me to do? And kind of maybe wait for an answer. And maybe some kind of questions to check our hearts before making bigger decisions. Why am I doing this? God, help me sift the motives of my heart. Because he knows them. Whose glory is this actually for? What's the end game here, God? What am I hoping to get out of this? Reveal it to me. These answers can be revealing. This is faith in action. And when we do this, I believe God will give us more vision for the good he has in store for us to do. 
See, when we're so busy with our plans, it's easy to miss those things. I think that's what he means in verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. When our calendars, when our plans are just packed to the rafters with things we think we should do, we can tend to miss what God has in store for us, the good he has planned for us to do. For our good too. Okay, let's wrap up. Don't be afraid, friends. Don't be afraid of meditating on these truths that we've covered this morning. The fact that we don't know what tomorrow holds. The fact that we are fragile, the brief and fragile nature of our lives. This will affect us in a good way. It'll affect how we plan in a good way. And it should also turn our eyes to Jesus. We don't know what tomorrow holds. He does. He holds all of human history in his hands. Your life and mine. He has a plan. It's a good plan. Do you trust him? This is faith in action. Yep, our lives are fragile and brief. I tell you what, but Jesus, he is the great uncreative one. The beginning and the end. He is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our knees on the ground worship. He's worthy of our face down worship. Because he is that mighty, strong, and we are weak. But he gave all that up to come and rescue us. He doesn't love us despite our weakness. He loves us because of it. And let that fuel our worship. Nothing can defeat him. Nothing can overcome him. And those who are in him will never be put to shame. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just we thank you for your word. It's not always easy to hear, but it's always good for us to hear. Truth is, Lord, we don't know what's coming around the corner. Our lives are fragile, and we don't know how long we will be here. May that fuel our hope in you, because you know you've got a plan for our lives. We know where we will be when we leave this earth. May that fuel meaning and purpose in this life. Lord, for anyone here who does not know you, is confused about where they are going when they leave this life, would you give them certainty by giving them the gift of faith? We thank you so much that we're able to talk about these things in the light of your goodness. In Jesus' powerful name.